to the end of a series on the prophet Malachi, the seventh of seven sermons. And thus far, if you've been here, you've heard six, the six addresses that are found in Malachi. And then left for me is the appendix. <laughs> yeah, that's what most people call these verses, the appendix. <clears throat> but you know, it's a pretty nice appendix when you stop and think about it. It's an appendix that has both Moses and Elijah together. Uh, these two parts, you've got this uh, statement that sounds like it comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy, sort of a friendly divine reminder to remember the Torah of Moses. That's nice. And then also this uh, promise that the last of the writing prophets identifies who the next prophet's going to be. And it's none other than Mr. Prophecy himself, the prophet Elijah. And uh, that promise, uh, some people call it perhaps a warning or even a threat when you look at the last words, but kind of this nice Deuteronomic reminder to remember the Torah. And then I promise that the next guy who's going to come is Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Kind of an exhortation and a promise. Yeah, kind of a nice way to round out the book of Malachi. And then some would say kind of a nice way to round out the book of the 12. And then if you're looking at the Masoretic text, kind of a nice way to round out the Nevi'im, the whole prophetic corpus. And then, of course, in our English Bible, kind of a nice way to round out the entire Old Testament. Though, of course, these orders are somewhat arbitrary, perhaps. But at least it's a nice way to round out the book of Malachi and the book of the Twelve. But I have to tell you, I'm a little hesitant and uncertain uh, that I've got to expound upon these words here. Well, you know, in part because uh, this is usually called the appendix, but I found a few commentators who said that this was actually part of the sixth and final address, which means this should have been read last week, and I shouldn't have to be up here today. <laughs> then there's the fact that R.H. Smith and some other scholars don't even think Mal Malachi wrote these words. They say it looks a little too nice to have Moses and Elijah together, and never has Elijah been identified as the messenger anywhere else in the book. And so they think this is the work of a later Jewish editor scribe. And you know, probably when the 12 books come together, they put this nice sort of reference to Elijah and Moses at the end. And of course, if that is true, then I don't need to be here at all. <clears throat> but of course, then there's all those other conservative evangelical scholars who think that Malachi wrote it, that it's the appendix. And I guess more important for me, those who planned this series planned that this would be the appendix. And so here I am. <laughs> Of course, I'm a little hesitant and uncertain for another reason. I don't know quite what you're expecting to hear from me today, and for a couple of reasons. Those of you who are in chapel, I think about three weeks and two Malachi sermons ago, may have heard that it was promised or maybe threatened that I would be preaching the gospel. <laughs> and then I look at this text and I wonder, where is the gospel? <clears throat> I feel cheated. <clears throat> I would have rather had the sixth address where I think you actually have pretty clear gospel in the book of Malachi. Gospel, what would have been heard as promise by the people that Malachi addressed back in that sixth address that we heard actually in whole last week and then a second time last Friday. You know, the promise to those who fear the name of Yahweh when they're concerned about how there seems to be no distinction between the evildoers and those who obey Yahweh. That Yahweh promises them that there is going to come a day 
when he's going to make the distinction clear and everybody is going to know who everybody else is. That those who fear Yahweh, they're his treasured possession. That he is going to spare them as a father spares the son who serves him. That he will, they will see the distinction that this day will come like a burning oven for the proud and those who do evil, and they're gonna be burned to ash, and the righteous are gonna walk on their ashes. But for those who fear the name of Yahweh, this day is gonna be the sun of righteousness, rising with healing on its wings. And they will go out like calves leaping from a stall. Kind of a strange comparison, that about the calves, but I guess anybody who's ever worked on a ranch probably gets the idea. Uh, when you see those calves, when they get free into the open space, there's a certain exuberant joy that you see on display. And they even run around the pasture for a while before they even settle down to eat and graze. I don't know if that's what Malachi was talking about. And I remember that when the calves did that with us, usually it's when we were branding them and they had a good reason to get away from us. <clears throat> But nevertheless, you know, I, I, could, I could picture that comparison, that simile, and I could sort of see perhaps what Malachi is talking about. I even looked for a hymn, traditional or contemporary, that might have words like, as a fenced-in calf desires open pastures, so I long for the day of Yahweh. <clears throat> but see, there's the gospel in the sixth address, and I've got the appendix. You know, you're gonna have the same text again on Friday with some of the sixth address, and here I am stuck with the appendix. And then I can, I wonder, you know, you hear these words, spoken, written for the post-exilic people of God, and I wonder what you expect me to say about how this applies to you, the post-post-exilic people of God. I wonder if there's anybody out there who's wondering if I'm gonna say that Elijah is gonna come back during the Great Tribulation. Uh, he and Moses are going to tag team on the world. Those of us who are raptured won't see it, but those of you who are left behind will. <clears throat> and of course, this has to be because it literally says Elijah there, and it has to be literally true. And in Hebrews, it said it's appointed for every man one time to die, and Elijah didn't die. Why? Because he's going to die during the tribulation, Revelation 11. His partner is going to be Moses, who's also going to die. That doesn't make sense because he already died once. Well, you shouldn't be too literalistic with it, I guess. But I'm not going to say anything like that. But then you may wonder, well, what am, I, what am I going to say to you? Remember the Torah of Moses. I'm sending Elijah the prophet. I could simply said, say, yeah, Elijah has already come. The messenger of the covenant has come. And Jesus is the end of the Torah. I could grab my remote and hit the fast forward. Let's go up through the Gospels to maybe Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9, where we see Moses and Elijah together, not just on the page, but there on the mountain of transfiguration in the narrative, standing with Jesus. And yet it's Jesus, the Son of God. He's the one shining with his Father's glory. Not Moses or Elijah. He's superior to them. He's their hope. He fulfills the Torah and the prophets. Listen to Jesus. But then you may stop me and say, well, let's go back. Before we get to Moses and Elijah there, what about Moses and Elijah here? Okay. Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, 
statutes and judgments, which I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Kind of a nice divine reminder to remember the Torah. And I suppose if we're looking for gospel, us Missouri Synod people might think, well, this is obviously law. There's an imperative. And if you translate Torah as law, it's gonna sound like law. Also statutes and judgments. <clears throat> and indeed, God has decreed how he wants his people, Israel, to live. And God wants his post-exilic people of Israel to live this way. It's hard to think of this without adding the words to walk in them, to live in them, to keep them, to obey them. Remember the Torah of Moses, to walk in these things. At the same time, you can't remember the Torah without remembering what God did in choosing Abraham, in choosing Israel, in saving Israel from, the ex from Egypt, bringing them to Sinai and making them his people for not wiping them out when they worship the golden calf or all those other times they sinned against him. Indeed, when you look at the Torah, that's where you find out that the God of Israel is this kind of God. He's a God who is merciful, patient. He remembers his covenant faithfulness. And so we heard earlier in Malachi 3, verse 6, where God says, For I, the Lord, have not changed, and you, O sons of Jacob, have not been finished off. I haven't wiped you out because I'm the same God, the same God in the Torah, this merciful, patient God. Yes, he wants his people to live a certain way, but you can't remember the Torah without remembering what the God of Israel did too. Maybe a little gospel there as well. Then the promise, behold, I'm gonna send you Elijah the prophet before the great and fearsome day of the Lord comes. And he is gonna turn the heart of the fathers to the sons and the heart of the sons to the fathers. I guess if we put a period there, it might sound like gospel, but then it goes on. Lest I come and strike the land with utter devastation, unless I wipe you out. A lot of people say that ends on a note of judgment, but then stop and think, take a step back. It appears that the God of Israel does not want to strike the land with utter devastation. Therefore, he's gonna send Elijah the prophet first to warn his people, to give them one last heads up before that day comes. And you might think, how like the God of Israel, a God who's patient, merciful, who remembers his covenant faithfulness, who remains faithful to his people even when they are faithless and when they sin against him. And talking to uh, my teacher, now colleague, Dr. Paul Robbie on this passage, he told me how these two poles now define the post-exilic people. They're to be a people who remember the Torah and a people who live with this eschatological hope, looking for the day and looking for Elijah to come first. And they're not to fall off on either end to get so wrapped up in the Torah they forget the eschaton or so wrapped up in the eschaton they forget the Torah, but these two things define them. And uh, this last parting shot of Malachi tells God's people at that time, this is what's important. This is where I want you to live. And so what about us? The post-exilic post people of God? Well, I suppose I can give you this warning. You think it's late? <clears throat> it's a lot later than you think. Elijah has come already. 
and they did to him whatever they wanted. The messenger of the covenant has come already, Jesus of Nazareth, and they did to him also whatever they wanted. John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus was crucified and killed, but God raised his son up, and that same Jesus is going to return on the last day in the clouds in his Father's glory with the angels. And it's later than you think. They were given the sign of Elijah. I can only tell you that there's one sign, the sign of the Son of Man coming in his Father's glory, of Jesus coming back. And for those who are not ready on that day, it's going to be too late. And so it's later than you think. This time that we have, even in this last week of quarter, as we're getting ready for exams, some of you for Greek or Hebrew qualifiers, this time is precious because Elijah has already come. The messenger of the covenant has already come. He's initiated the reign of heaven here in our midst. And when he comes back, it's going to be in this way. And so there's a call for us to hear Jesus, to listen to him, to remember what he has said. When he said, for instance, things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When he said things like, if any one of you would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. When he's called for us to live together in community in this way, as we await his coming in his Father's glory. The same Jesus who also said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. We're to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we consider our life together, there may be cause for us to confess our sins to one another, to repent, to turn back to him. But remember what your Lord Jesus said, and also remember the eschatological hope that you have. Yes, there's only one sign left. That's the sign of our Lord coming. But he is going to come. Maybe this week, I don't know, but he is going to come. And this day of his coming, for you, those he has called and redeemed, it is going to be a day when the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. It's going to be a day when you would leave the stall like a calf leaping. This is the day when he is going to make all things right, and when he's going to raise you up, and then you will live with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth. This same Jesus who came and has redeemed you and called you out of this world, this same Jesus will raise you up on the last day and you will live with him forever. And consider these two poles. Our Lord has told us how we are to live as his disciples together in this time. And our Lord has told us that he is coming back we will see him. He will raise us up and we will live with him forever.
Remember these words. Remember this promise and hope. Perhaps it's fitting that it comes this week, as many of us may feel pressed by work, by upcoming exams and papers that are due. We may think that there is no distinction, or if the distinction is, if there is a distinction, it's between sort of those who are making it and those who are not. We may wonder if the world looks at us and sees anybody at all. And yet, our identity is found in our baptism into Jesus, and the Father knows who you are, and the Father will keep you, and his Son will return for you to raise you up and give you everlasting life. No matter what happens this week, this is what your Lord Jesus Christ is gonna do for you because he has redeemed you and made you his own. And so may the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, keep and preserve you in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the hope of the resurrection, both now and unto life everlasting. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.